Well, hey, good morning. It's good to see you on this Sunday. Um, before we jump into the sermon this morning, a couple things I want to mention. Uh, Jake already mentioned it, but our We Love KC picnic is coming up this Saturday. Uh, not, no, not 9 o'clock. It's 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., all right? If you'd like to come and help us, beginning somewhere at 9 a.m. or somewhere that morning, um, we would love to have your help. So we need folks to sign up to help us serve, just to get some things set up, and then just to be able to greet people during that two-hour window and then help us tear down. So please, please, please sign up, friendshipwire.com. Look for our We Love KC tab. There's also a sign-up sheet at guest services. So, so we'd love to see you here. We'd love to have your help uh, in just loving our community. All right, so that's coming up on Saturday. Um, on Sunday... Uh, is going to be Halloween, right? I think that's the date, October the 31st. We have um, one of the things we're going to be giving out on Saturday um, for all the kids that are here. We've got kind of like candy bags. One of the things that we have in those is this this little booklet. It's a tiny little kind of activity thing called um, A Friend in the Dark, uh, which is actually pretty cool based on what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, but we've, we ordered a bunch of these so that you can use these and hand these out. If, if you have trick-or-treaters who come in your neighborhood and come by your house, um, don't just give them this. Give them like a full Snickers bar or something good, all right? Don't be the Jesus person who skimps out and gives, you know, a toothbrush or a pencil or pennies. Give them some good candy. Give them one of these, all right? So this is just a fun way to uh, talk about Jesus, our friend in the dark. So we have tons and tons of these. So if you want to grab a handful, if you want to grab packets, I think they're rubber banded by 25. Grab as many as you want, okay? Until as, as long as supplies last, we have a lot of supplies. That's coming up next weekend. So make sure you grab as many as you can. Actually, I guess next Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, you'll be able to grab some too. I forgot about that. So, but if you want to beat the rush, grab some this morning, all right? So that's coming up uh, as well. So we're in this series called Gentle and Lowly, and we are in week number five today. I just want to mention that we still have uh, connection groups that are open. Uh, Visit friendshipwire.com. Look for the Gentle and Lowly tab if you want to jump into a group. Uh, I've been hearing some amazing, really cool things from some of our folks and just the things that God is doing through this study as we're considering the heart of Christ. And so it's blessed my heart. I know it's been a blessing to the folks that are in those groups. So if you're interested in joining in, go check that out, all right? Or ask me if you have questions later. Still have books available if you want to grab a free book out at guest services. Uh, Those are available for free as well. So in the series, um, as we're in, again, week five, we've been considering the heart of Christ for us. He said that he is gentle and lowly, which means he's tender and he's humble and he receives us. And this week we're going to talk about the friendship of Christ, the friendship of Christ. And, you know, I feel like the older that I get, um, the more and more, and like I I say that because uh, I had a a sweet little comment the other week where somebody thought I was still in my 20s and I was like, what a blessing. (laughs) I am not there any longer. That was long, long ago. But the older I get, as I get into my 40s and so on, um, the more I realize this, that friendship is such a gift. Friendship is such a gift. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, uh, I think that would be a great slogan or motto for our church. Friendship. It's a gift. <laughs> right? We're going to incorporate that. Okay? Maybe not. All right? Based on crowd response. Thank you, honey, for responding. <laughs> I can always count on my wife for a good laugh. Um, But friendship, like if you think about the friendships that you have in your life or you have had over the course uh, of your life, man, it is hard to find good friends. 
It's hard to find godly friends. It's hard to find friends that, that last. You know what I mean? Um, and so maybe one of the, the concepts that's most difficult to grasp is this idea that Jesus wants to be our friend. I think in our kids' ministry, the way we say it is he wants to be our forever friend, which I love. So this is kind of, I think, sometimes a hard concept for us to grasp, uh, is, is that he wants to be our friend. So I want to look at this, this phrase, one of the titles that's given to Jesus in the New Testament that I think is, we hear it and it kind of passes through our ears, but it's such an incredible reality. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 11 today. And I just want us to see this, this title uh, that Jesus was given, Matthew chapter 11 and let me give you the context of, of this chapter. You have John the Baptist, who was the, the forerunner of Christ. He was the one that proclaimed that there was this Messiah that was coming. Um, and, and he pointed the way to Jesus. And he, at this point in John, uh, sorry, Matthew 11, uh, John the Baptist is in prison. And uh, he has, at this point, suffered kind of a lapse in his faith. He was the cousin of Jesus. He was very bought into the person of Jesus, but he's in prison. He's in kind of this point of despair. And, and even John the Baptist had this lapse in his faith where he sits in prison and he says, is Jesus really, is he the one who is to come or are we waiting for another one? And so he has these, these questions in his faith even at this point. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, he begins to speak very highly of John the Baptist. I mean, he is singing his praises to the crowds. And we come down to Matthew chapter 11. If you look at verse number 18, he makes this statement to, to the folks he's speaking to, the crowds. He says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So th this guy, John, John the Baptist, he practiced what was called asceticism, which just means he denied himself. He deprived himself. It was the severe like self-discipline, self-denial. Um, and so it says here that they, they said he came neither eating nor drinking. In other words, he, he was kind of like a monk. He deprived himself. He didn't come enjoying himself, doing anything. He just came to proclaim Jesus and yet they condemned him. Did you see what it says? It says they called him a demon. He has a demon. And then he, he can contrast Jesus, who came differently. John, it says, he didn't come eating or drinking, but Jesus, the son of man, came eating and drinking. In other words, he lived a normal life. He came in a very ordinary way, eating and drinking. And yet they still, it says, slandered him. It says he... Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Okay, so they, they, they said that he came not just eating and drinking, but doing it to an extreme, doing it to an excess. They said he was a sinner. Okay, to drink alcohol isn't a sin. To be drunk is a sin. To eat food is not a sin, right? To be gluttonous, to overeat, to be controlled by food, that is a sin. And so they, they leveled this accusation, an untrue claim against Jesus who came eating and drinking and they said that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners and so they meant this you know and this was kind of when I looked at this I was like this is kind of a 
early times like example of cancel culture right here. We talked about this last week, but they were like, he came eating and drinking, so he's a glutton and he's a, he's a, a drunkard <clears throat> and he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He's a friend of them. And this was meant to be an insult and it was meant to be an indictment on who Jesus was. And yet, for those who were actually sinners, this was a, a very comforting and very powerful word to them. So in other words, those who leveled this accusation, he's a friend of ta and tax collectors, by the way, were the worst of the worst in their culture. They were the sinners of sinners. They were the most despicable form of sinners. And so when they said he's a friend of sinners... You know, those people who level that accusation, can, can you hear the self-righteousness? It was kind of like, we don't believe that we're actually in that category. But for us that know ourselves, that know who we are, that know what we're made of, we hear this accusation that he's a friend of sinners, and, and we would say, praise God. That's amazing that he's a friend of sinners, because guess what? I am one, and he's a friend of, of sinners. And, you know, throughout this study, one of the things that we don't want to do when it comes to the person of Jesus, and, and I believe in the book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland, the, the author, one of his intentions is not to do this, and it's not my intention either. We don't want to, we want to be careful that we don't emasculate Jesus. If you don't know what that means, it means we don't want to, we don't want to make him weak and wimpy and effeminate. Like, we don't want to steal his manhood and his strength because, and you can't if you look at the scriptures, because we see in the scriptures that he is the sovereign God Almighty, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the King of the universe. And so he is, I promise you, he was a man's man. And yet, what we're seeing in the series is that his heart is tender towards us. And here is the, the big idea, the bottom line this morning, is that Jesus deserves our worship, and yet he desires our friendship. He deserves our worship, and yet he desires our friendship. He doesn't want us to just call him Lord. He doesn't just want us to call him Savior, although those things are true, and he wants those things. But he also desires, he wants to be our friend. And so what we're going to do over the next few minutes is we're just going to take a little survey of Scripture on, on the subject of friendship, on the subject of friendship and how Jesus is our, our never-failing friend. And so what, one of the things as we look through this, you know, there's a lot of things that the, the Scriptures say about what a friend is like or what a friend does. And so as you hear these things, you may think of friends that you have in your life. You may think of the type of friend that you are, and those are all good things. Um, but really what I want us to see even beyond that is how every single quality of a true and good and godly friend actually is a picture of who Christ is and who Christ wants to be for us as our never-failing friend. So we're going to go through a series of scriptures, just kind of cruising through the Bible, and I want us to to start with this idea, it's this, that a friend gets up close. A friend gets up close. Now, I don't mean like he doesn't know your personal space, your bubble. Y'all you, know anybody like that? Maybe you're, maybe you're like that. You don't know personal space, and that's okay if that's yours. 
I need my bubble, okay? And, but, but a friend gets up close. And the way that I would say it is a friend gets face to face. So look at Exodus 33. I love this description of how God describes his relationship with Moses. And you know how God used Moses and did these amazing things through his representative to the nation of Israel. Exodus 33:11. it says this, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. I love this because you know in the Old Testament, especially God, like, I mean, you couldn't just waltz into the presence of God because, because of your sin and his holiness, it would burn you right up. And so God had these precautions and boundaries so you couldn't come face to face with him because we couldn't handle that. And yet when it describes the relationship that God has with Moses, and remember God would come, this is why he would come in a, in a cloud and why there was all these, these, these boundaries. But when he speaks to his relationship with Moses, he said, he speaks to him as uh, face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. All right, so when you think about a friendship, there's this closeness, you get up close. And you know, one of the things I've you know, joked about as social media and media in general becomes more of a thing, it's like, you know, I think I might have said this to my teenage son a couple years ago. Like, you can't date a girl through texting. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work that way. All right, you can't take her out to eat. You can't be a gentleman. You can't do all these things. I mean, you can have a, a relationship, but man, there's, there comes a point where you've got to be face-to-face, right? Maybe not, not face-to-face in that kind of way. Not too face-to-face, but you've got to get up close, you know what I mean? And, and so, like, one thing I love about the Bible is that, that God's primary means, not his only means, but his primary means of communicating to us is through his word, through a written page. And so there is that aspect of communication and relationship. But Jesus doesn't just stay in heaven or at a distance or through a printed word. No, he comes to us and lives within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He gets up close. There's this intimacy of friendship that comes not through just a screen or just through pages, but as he comes to be with us and alongside of us. And so a friend gets up close. Another thing that a friend does, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. Proverbs 17, verse number 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We'll get back to that idea of a brother in a moment. But a friend loves at all times. The idea here being that a friend sticks by your side, is faithful through thick and thin. Do you have any friends like that? If you do, you're a blessed person. Someone who never gives up on you, that loves you at all times. A friend loves you when you're at your highest of highs. And a friend loves you when you're at the lowest of lows. A friend loves you when you are doing well and you're doing everything right. A friend loves you when you blow it and you act like a fool. A friend loves at all times. And this is why I believe throughout the scripture we see one of the the primary qualities that we see God described as or descriptions of him is his steadfast love. It's this never give up, never run out on you kind of love. A friend loves at all times. And I love this about Jesus. When we think about the friendship of Jesus, that he comes close, but he loves at all times. At my best and at my worst. And that's the whole point of the series, that even in our sinfulness, even in our suffering, he loves us and he draws near. 
A friend loves at all times. Here's another one. A friend sticks closer. You know what the rest of it, how it goes? It's closer than a brother. A brother. Maybe a sister. I don't know. I've only had a brother. A friend sticks closer than a brother. Brother. The next proverb, Proverb 18, verse 24. A friend, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so I think there's a couple ways that you could take this, this verse. I, I think there's this idea of choosing your friends and your companions wisely. Because if you just have a bunch of friends and you're, you're not choosy and picky about those friendships, then you may come to ruin. Um, but when you're careful and you choose carefully, you, you may find a friend who will stick closer than a brother. So I think there's that kind of general idea in, in choosing friends wisely. But I think there's just this particular, there's this particular word, this phrase, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I think that points to the person of Jesus, that there, you may have many friends, you may have many earthly friends, but there is a friend who will stick closer than a brother ever will. Because we all know that, that brothers and sisters, friends, family, people come and go. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. He wants to be our friend. So a friend sticks closer than a brother. Here's another thing. A friend speaks hard but helpful truth. A friend speak, speaks hard but helpful truth. Man, it is hard to find this kind of friend that will, I mean, it's, it's easy to find someone who will say hard things to you, but someone who will say it in a way that helps you and that challenges you and builds you up. Proverbs 27 has some things to say about it. Proverbs 27, verse number six. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So what, what this is saying is that a true friend is someone who is willing to say hard things to you in a way that will not harm you, but help you. And I don't know if you have any of these kind of friends that will say something that you don't really want to hear, but oh my goodness, you need to hear it. And who else is going to say it if it's not a friend? And so it says, hey, that kind of person that will wound you in order to help you heal, that is a faithful friend. But the person who will just blow kisses your way and you're, you're always great, you're always perfect, man, he, he, the writer compares that to an enemy, profuse are those kind of kisses. That's not a real friend. If you go a couple verses later, Proverbs 27, verse number nine, it says, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from what? From his earnest counsel. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And I love that word counsel. It's so much bigger and deeper than just advice. Just, it's not just give me some advice, give me something I, I, that's helpful. Counsel has this idea of it comes from the counsel of the word of God. The Holy Spirit is called our, our counselor, our, our helper. And so somebody that will bring you counsel that comes not just from their opinion, not just from experience, but from the word of God that brings you earnest or wise counsel. Man, there's sweetness in that kind of friendship. And so a friend speaks hard but helpful truth. And when I think about the friendship of Jesus, I think this is another reason why in Hebrews 4.12, it says that the word of God is, is sharper than any two-edged sword because the word of God is it's like a scalpel to a surgeon. It, it cuts and it wounds, and yet 
Ultimately, it does that in order to, to heal. And so you, you read the Bible, God doesn't pull punches. He will say hard things that, that smack you right in the face, but he does so in a way to bring you health and healing and wholeness because a friend speaks hard but helpful truth. Here's another thing that a friend does. A friend gives sacrificially. A friend gives sacrificially. If you think of a good friend in your life, it's someone who is willing to drop something at a moment's notice to come and help you or do something that um, in, your, in your time of need. A friend gives sacrificially. John 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. John 15, 12, and 13. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I'm the example. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would do what? Lay down his life for his friends. Right now, Jesus took it to the extreme, like all the way to the point of death. He sacrificed. But a friend, we see this in the life of every single good friend. And when we are a good friend to another, it's, it's not just about us and about our needs. We're willing to sacrifice to, to help. And this is who Jesus is. He desires. He's already shown it through his death on the cross. But a friend gives sacrificially. And then if you look even further in the next couple of verses, you find something else. A friend shares his heart and his life. A friend shares his heart and his life. And again, all these things kind of overlap but what you see in Jesus, he goes on here and he says this to his disciples. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you what? Friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So Jesus has spent these three years of his life walking and talking and doing life with these men. And then he comes to the end here and he says, I'm not calling you servants, I'm calling you friends because I'm sh he's shared his deepest like, heart with them. He's, he has shared his deepest purpose with them. Everything that he's heard from the Father, he says, I, I've shared with you. You know everything that's going on because you're my friends. I call you my friends. And so a friend shares his, his heart and his life. There's an openness and a, a vulnerability. This, there's a term that I think of that may not be super appropriate with, with Jesus, but you've heard the term thick as thieves. <laughs> we probably wouldn't use that to speak of Jesus, but there's, there's this idea that we're, man, we are tight. We, we, that we're open to one another. There's this vulnerability that I have with you that I don't have with just everybody. And Jesus says, I call you friends because I reveal to you what the Father has revealed to me. There is this intimacy beyond just servant and master, I call you friends. So a, sir, a friend shares his heart and his life. I want you to see something about Jesus, that Jesus, and this isn't true of every friend, but Jesus loves to the end. Jesus loves to the end. Again, this is this idea of steadfast love, but I want you to see something with Jesus because if there was any, anybody in Jesus' circle that he, he had the right to, to cast off or to turn away or to write off. Who was it in Jesus' circle that he could have done that to? I heard it. Judas, right? The one who betrayed him. I don't know if you've ever caught the last words, the last recorded words from Jesus to his betrayer in the moment of betrayal. 
what Jesus said, Matthew 26, verse 50, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Like to the one who betrayed him in the moment of betrayal. Jesus has invested three years of his life in this man and he betrays him. And even in this moment, he looks him in the eye and he says, friend, do what you came to do. And I think the reason, and this, this, has, this sneaks by you, doesn't it? I don't remember seeing this before, but I think it's in there because there is this reminder to us that we can never go too far. We could never sin or blow it enough that there would come a point where Jesus would say, mm, no more, I'm done with you. I'm cutting off the, the friendship at this point. You have gone too far. To Judas, he says, friend, do what you came to do. But I love you. You're my, you're my friend. I've invested in you. And so even to the very end, and so in those moments, if you ever encounter a moment in your life where you go, oh my goodness, Jesus, this is the point in my story where Jesus goes the other way because I am just such a mess of all people, Judas, who sold him out. Jesus called him friend. Jesus doesn't just deserve our worship. He desires our friendship and he is a friend to the end. Now, let's think back again to this, this phrase, friend of sinners. Why did, why did they call him this? Why this designation, friend of sinners? And we see this in other points we'll look at here in just a moment. Why did they call him a friend of sinners? Well, if you remember, it was because it says that he came eating and drinking. All right, so you know what friends do? Y'all know this. He did it with his disciples. He spent time eating and drinking with them. All right, so... Friends eat and drink together, not to excess. This is, that was the point with Jesus. He didn't go to the point of sin, but he spent time with them. He sat across a table from them and he ate, he ate and he drank and he just spent time with them. And so like if you think in your life, anybody that you've ever considered a friend, there has been a point or many, many points where you have sat across a table and shared a coffee or ate lunch together or did something together across the table where you spent time with them. This is what friends do. And this is what Jesus did with tax collectors and sinners. In fact, if you look back in another passage, Matthew chapter 9, there, there was a question posed. Matthew chapter 9, actually when Jesus came and he called Matthew to himself, one of the disciples, and you remember what Matthew did? His occupation, he was a tax collector. He was the worst of the worst in that culture's eyes. And it says in Matthew 9, starting verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And this is why this, there was such an uproar over this. Like he actually invited tax collectors and sinners to join him and to follow him. And it says that Matthew rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, Many tax collectors and sinners um, came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw this, they said to his disciples, here's the question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do this? Why does this holy man that you 
follow self-proclaimed righteous prophet? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, it says, when he heard it, he responded. He said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. The question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus' answer was this, that's who I came for. I came for sinners. I came for the ones who realize and recognize their need of a savior. They're the ones that I came to eat and drink with, to sit across the table with. They're the ones that I came to invite to follow me. Why? Not just because I deserve their worship because I'm the sovereign God of the universe, but because I desire their friendship. I created them. I know them. I, I want to be a friend to them. This is why I came not for the healthy, but for the sick, for the sinners. Luke chapter 15, another passage. Again, this comes up. It says in verse number one, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Like he, he spends time with these sinners and this is such an incredible passage because there was something, we see there was something about Jesus and the way that he lived and the way that he spoke to people, the way that they looked at people, the way that he made people feel that many tax collectors and sinners were drawn to him. It says they were drawing near to him. They, there was something about him that didn't say, ah, oh, that guy's too good for me. That guy's too pure for me. That guy's too holy for me. No, it drew them in. Why? It's because of his gentle and lowly heart that came bursting out. They, they could see it in the way that he looked at them, the way that he spoke to them, and it drew them in. And of course, that begs the question, do we live that kind of life that draws in people who don't look like us and don't think like us and don't worship the same God that we worship? This was who he was. He was a friend of, of sinners. And the amazing thing, when you look at Luke chapter 15, it launches into three parables that Jesus begins to share. A story of a, a, a lost um, sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son or prodigal son. And what's going on here? Jesus is reiterating, saying, hey, this is who I came for. I came for the sinners. I came for the sufferers. That's why I came, the ones who are lost, who are far from me. I want, you, I want to read a couple quotes to you from the book from Dane Ortland. He said this, Here is the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. Like, let's just let that sink in for a second. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy, never refuse our presence. He wants to be with us. He wants to be our friend. Here's another quote. He says this, companion is another word for friend, but it specifically connotes the idea of someone who goes with you on a journey. 
as we make our pilgrimage through this wide wilderness of a world, we have a steady, constant friend. I love this idea of a, of a companion. Because a lot of times we think of somebody that we're in a relationship with or in a marriage relationship with. This is my companion through life, and that, is, that, that, that certainly can be true. But we have a companion who sticks closer than a brother that loves us to the end. He is our steady, constant friend. And so what do we do with all this? How do we live in light of this truth when we see all these things about friendship in the scriptures? Well, uh, a few things that, that come to mind. Number one is this, just really practical. Thank God for every good, godly friend that you have. I, I, don't, I don't know how often you do this, and maybe this is just a, a reminder and a moment for you to, to think and to thank God for every good and godly friend that you have because every good and godly friend that you have is a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could have a friend who isn't even, doesn't even know the Lord and yet by their faithfulness and their sacrifice to you can be a picture of your one true lasting friend. And so introduce your friend to, to your other friend Jesus, but man, thank God for every good and godly friend that you have because I think the older you get the more you realize they're few and far between. I mean, we all have levels of friendship, right? You have your Facebook friends who may or may not be real friends, right? Let's be honest. You have like casual acquaintances or friends that people you would, they're not your enemy, but you know, you'd say, oh, they're a friend. And then you have like, you have your friends. You have your real friends that, that last. And you know, I've, I've thought about that in the last few days. We, uh, I told you last week, we, um, my wife Annette and I came back uh, yesterday from a, a quick trip to Ohio for a funeral, my youth pastor. And so I was excited for this trip, um, not because I love funerals. I was excited to celebrate the life of my youth pastor. Um, I was excited to see friends. I had, honestly, some of them I haven't seen in like 25 years um, since I was um, a ridiculous teenage kid, you know, and like, man, we just had changed a lot. So it was, I knew I was going to see, this was going to be a regathering of, they, they, they called all of these, these generations of, of kids who went through Dave's youth group, Dave's kids. And so they asked during this, and there were hundreds of people in this church, they're like, how many of you are Dave, would call yourself part of Dave's kids? And so you had like, like all generations, okay, this couple uh, in front of me that was, you know, they're in their 70s, and they're like, yep, we're part of Dave, you know, we're all Dave's kids, because he, uh, 40 years he served in youth ministry, and so, so many generations of folks were part of his, his ministry in, in some way, shape, or form, um, but I was just excited to see old friends, and this has been that year, um, you know, a lot of us over the last year or so have experienced a lot of, a lot of death, and a lot of funerals, and uh, and I, I'm so tired of that. I hate it. Um, it makes me long for heaven. Um, but, you know, earlier in this year, February, another pastor and mentor, very influential in my life, went home to be with the Lord. And so we had another trip to another part of Ohio. And, and again, people that I hadn't seen in probably 20 years or so, friendships that were kind of rekindled. Um, you know, I don't, if, if, do you have those kind of friends who you may not have seen them for months or years, and the moment you come like back in your presence, it's like, man, we never, time hasn't even passed. It's like we're still right where we were. Um, but, but I've just been reminded, even through this year, as we've gone to these different situations and events where we've, we've seen friends, and uh, it's just reminded me, it's made me think about the friends who I, I, I'm at this point in my life where I've had some friends for 20 years or more, uh, and that's crazy. But when I think about the friendships that, 
that have lasted, like time and location, those friendships were always centered on Jesus. And there was this, this mutual like, commitment to Christ. Like when, when I think of the people that I'm closest with, that I've been friends with for years and years and years, it's because they had this deep abiding desire to be connected to Christ. And it hasn't changed. They haven't wandered. They don't, they're not like marginal followers of Jesus. They want to follow Jesus with all that they have. And that's, our, that's my heart. That's our heart's desire. And so, man, God has knit our hearts together. And so there's this friendship that has transcended time and place. And man, I thank God for those friendships because they're few and far between. If you have one friendship like that in the course of your life, you are a blessed man or woman. And so thank God for every single one of those that God gives you. And maybe you would say, I don't know if I have that. Keep praying that God will bring that to you. But here's a second thing that I would say is be a good godly friend. Be a good godly friend. You know, it's easy, and I've done this before. I'm like, man, God, I just, in this place in my life or in this place we're at, I, I, would you bring somebody to be the kind of friend that I need at this point? And, and it's easy to go, like, I need this kind of friend or I want this kind of friend. Here's what, here is my challenge to you is be that kind of friend. Don't just say, God, where is that friend that I need? Be the good godly friend that you want and you need. And let me give you a tip. You don't have to be the the most incredible, winsome person. You just have to be intentional and dedicated and committed to it. You just have to be there. Um, You just have to eat and drink. Invite someone to coffee. Serve someone. Be sacrificial. Get up close. Love at all times. Be a good, godly friend. And here's, here's my hope. I don't think I've ever said it in this way, maybe ever before, but in particular not here. Here's my hope for you, is that you will find and that you will form those kind of friendships here. In this church, in this place that we call friendship. My hope is that you would have those kind of friendships outside of here, yes, but my hope and my desire is that the people that call friendship home would find these kind of friendships here. Because that's when you know that this church is united and that we are together on mission, that we are not just a, a church body, that we're a family when we find friendship in one another. And so if you don't have those kind of friends here, man, I, I hope that you will... I hope that you don't just go looking for them, but I hope that you will seek to form them and to be a good godly friend. Don't just wait for somebody to initiate. You be the good godly friend. That is my hope for you. So what do we do in light of this? Thank God for every good godly friend. Second thought, be a good godly friend. Here's a third thing is just simply this. Rejoice in the friendship of Christ. Rejoice in the friendship of Christ. Don't just think of him as Lord and Savior. Yes, he deserves our worship. He deserves our every last breath. But he desires to be more than just Lord. He desires to be more than just Savior. He desires to be your friend. 
to walk with you and talk with you. And, you know, there was a hymn that came into my mind, and I reached out to Andrew uh, late in the week, and I said, hey, I don't know if you remember that old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Man, it'd be cool if we could find some version of that, but no pressure because that's hard last minute, and I think we have a little bit of that coming up. But um, it kind of hit me hard this morning because I heard him practicing, and it gave me all the feels. It took me back. I don't know, a few decades, but um, it also took me back to Friday because in this funeral service for Dave, that, that hymn was brought up and it was actually quoted. And uh, man, um, it's so true. What a friend that we have in Jesus, that he, he wants to walk with us and he wants to know us. He already knows us and he wants us to know him deeply and intimately, and he is a friend who will never fail us, that friends will come and go. Your very best friend, there will be an end to that, that friendship on earth, but we have a friend who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. That friendship will never end. He is a friend who loves at all times to the end. You know, I want to I read one more verse and share one more quote with you, and then we'll wrap it up. Revelation 3.20, another incredible invitation given by Jesus. Revelation 3.20, Jesus speaking to the church, speaking to a group of, of people that don't even understand their own sinfulness. And, and yet he says, he, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and do what? I want to eat with him. I want to eat with him and he with me. He says, I just want to, like, I'm calling out to you. I'm knocking at the door. He's talking to the collective church, but he's talking to a, a group of broken, sinful people. And he makes this invitation. He says, hey, I'm, I'm knocking. I just want you to let me in. And it's, it's, it's somewhat of an indictment because he's speaking to the church. Uh, Man, I just, I know you're gathered to worship me, but I'm just knocking at the door. I want to be a part of it. He's speaking to this church in Revelation 3, and he says, if anyone, and this applies individually too, he just says, I'm just knocking. If you hear my voice, if you hear me speaking to you, man, just open the door, let me in. Because here's my desire. He doesn't say, I just want to come in and turn your life upside down and take over. No, he says, I just want to come in and, and eat with you. I want to sit across the table from you, me and you, you and me. I want to dine with you. I want to be your friend. This is the invitation from Jesus. An old theologian, Richard Sibbs, he says this. He says, as his friendship is sweet, so it is constant in all conditions. If other friends fail, as friends may fail, yet this friend will never fail us. If we be not ashamed of him, he will never be ashamed of us. How comfortable would our life be if we could draw out the comfort that this title of friend affords? It is a comfortable, a fruitful, an eternal friendship. So Jesus, he deserves our worship, but you all, he desires our friendship. And so this morning, my invitation to you is let's just rejoice in the friendship of Christ today. And maybe... Maybe you're in a place where you've never opened the door of your heart to him. Maybe you've never invited him in. Maybe you've never, maybe you've all you've ever heard or your only conception of Christ was that he wanted to rule over you. 
man, I want you to hear this morning his invitation to you. That he's knocking, he's speaking, man, he just wants to come in and be your friend. And that invitation is open to you today and whenever you would want to respond. And so would you bow your heads with me? I want to just pray and let's rejoice in this good friend that we have in Christ. Jesus, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for all these things that we see in your word and know to be true of you. You are this friend that is closer than a brother. You are this this God who isn't far removed and distant. You come close. You are a friend who sacrifices. You are a friend who loves to the end in our highs and lows, in the good and the bad. You are promised to us stronger than the, 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 the wedding vows of a husband or wife. You will never leave us or forsake us. And today we just wanna say thank you that you are that kind of friend to us and you offer that kind of friendship. Lord, for, for the one who may this morning need to invite you in as friend and as Lord and as Savior, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself that they would sense your gentle and lowly heart and that they would, they would be drawn to you as the tax collectors and sinners of old. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to rejoice, not just in your friendship, but in the friendship of those you've, you've brought into our life, the faithful friends that are a reflection of you. God, I pray that we would be uh, in the lives of others, that reflection of Jesus to them and our friendship to them as well. Lord, I pray that within this body, within this family, you would continue to raise up friends that we would not just worship alongside one, of one another, but God, that we would truly become friends, that our, our heart be so caught up in you and that out of that would burst forth friendship live together, we would love one another, that we would love the people you've put us amongst in our county. God, I pray the people that come across us on Saturday and Sunday and every week, they would sense this kind of friendship. Not just a name, but God, that, that sinners would be drawn to us, that sinners would be drawn to you because we display and live with gentle and lowly heart of Christ. And so, God, I pray that that would be reflected in every single one of us. We rejoice in your friendship today. In Jesus' name we pray.